Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined by Kate Ward, International President of Refinery29. Previously Head of Commercial at production company Shine TV, she started her career at the digital media business in 2015 as Senior Vice President. Aimed at women, Refinery29 has over 450 employees with offices in New York, Los Angeles, London and Berlin. It reaches a global audience of over 250 million through editorial and video programming, live events and social content. Kate's successes include the launch of their UK and German editions and their marketing and creative arm, the 29th, which helps brands appeal to women by creating video, events and influencer activity. In 2017, she was named one of Management Today's 35 Women Under 35, the UK's longest-running list of young female business talent. Kate, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. I have huge imposter syndrome reading that. I've done absolutely nothing compared to that. (laughs) Are you incredibly driven? What is it? What's the secret? I'm flattered, but I think the truth is I've been incredibly lucky to have two very, very formative experiences in terms of my career so far, working in companies at the top of their game, first to have an experience, a varied experience with lots of, a few different jobs along the way at at the Shine Group under uh, Liz Murdoch and Alex Mayon, and and then to more recently be at Refinery29, which is representing something that is so important uh, for women and and this moment in culture, but also really at the cutting edge of of the definition of of a new type of media and entertainment company. So lucky me, I would say, um, as opposed to lucky them. And lucky us for having you as a guest at the moment. Uh, Let's do your career shortly if we can, and actually just talk about Refinery29. So for our listeners that have never heard of it, there might be a few of them, or that don't have a sufficient grasp, could you just talk us through what it is? Refinery29 is a media and entertainment company for women. We... Uh, have a really clear mission to represent, progress, inspire and entertain women. And we do that through really simply telling stories and creating experiences. Um, We really were founded in 2005 in North America by four friends um, and they built a a best-in-class digital publishing business, um, uh, writing articles and creating content. We've since moved into video, uh, live events. Uh, We're in the feature film business. Um, We have a creative agency now. So now we're really a a fully um, diversified media company, um, really creating this very mission-focused, purpose-driven content for women. And what's the genesis of the name? Actually, Refinery29 is is called Refinery29 because we began life actually as a a shopping product. It was a kind of curate your own mall, curating independent retailers. And there were 29 spaces in this mall. And so it was Refinery29. And you could filter by different types of shops. You could also filter men and women. It wasn't it wasn't just for women. And what actually happened is really interesting story is our, our four co-founders, uh, Philip Von Boris, Justin Stefano, um, Christine Barbrick, Piero Gelardi, all four of whom are still in the refinery business today, by the way. They started creating content about these, these shops. Um, and the audience just flocked to the content and it became it kind of took off uh, more than actually the e-commerce solution so that's that's our pivot into becoming a media company because the the name stuck at that point and you were the bound name, by it that was it it became uh, it became an iconic name and a lot of people ask me wh- wh- why refinery 29 and i um that that's the real story i'm sure that there's some some myths and legends out there but 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 that's that's the story and 450 staff and a reach of over 250 million i mean that those are incredible numbers how did you get to that there's a lot of sophistication, right, that comes with building a huge digital audience. But I think there's sort of three things really going on in that there have been the secret to refinery success. I think the first and the most important by far is 
that we have a very, very clear mission. We're a mission-driven company with a very, very specific audience segment of talking to to young women, really our kind of core audience is sort of 16 to 35, 40. And that really kind of, that real focus has given us a huge amount of brand power. Refinery means something to the people that read us. It, it It's not just about reach, it's reach and sort of engagement, holding hands to actually create that true influence. Right? With the that right group of people, a 100%. very targeted, very niche group of people. Absolutely. So you're you're really building a long-lasting, meaningful relationship with them. That so there aren't many 44-year-old chubby blokes going on the website like me. Listen, I'm sure that that, that, <laughs> that that there are, and we welcome them too, and I'm sure there's content we cover that, that might be interesting, but I think what are we, who do we get out of bed for every day? Um, we're, you know, in service to, 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 to that core kind of audience i think the second thing how do you get to that scale is you know refinery has been going since 2005 you know this hasn't been built overnight this isn't a kind of a flash in the pan story this has been years and years of finally kind of honing craft and skill diversification and it's kind of been a long road to get us there and every single year that that we've been there sort of feels like we've done five or six big new innovations and jumps forward so i think it's it's a bit like dog years i actually probably at refinery and what are the touch points then of of your readers? What's important, I think, about our business and something that, you know, we've really focused on is that we still have a really, really huge, really, really significant dot com business. You know, our own website is still a really, really important part of of our product. And of course, we also publish in a multitude of other places. So, all the social channels. We were uh, one of the original Snapchat Discover partners. Um, of course, Facebook, Twitter. An amazing Pinterest um, community and Pinterest board, of course, a, a really thriving Instagram. But we've also sort of taken that direct consumer approach and taken it further. So events is a huge part of what we do. Um, we have an amazing email product. Um, we have over two million email subscribers. So really, we're creating a super diverse set of touch points. So you might find us initially through Snapchat, but then you'll end up subscribing to the newsletter or you might be a real fan of one of our live events and from that you start following us on Instagram and that leads you back to the dot com. So we're always kind of the thinking so-called stickiness, about, keeping yeah, you coming back. Yeah, and also because we're really programming all those places individually. So you're always thinking about what is the right story for the right platform how does that match to the audience when they want to get it? Really building those connection moments in a platform-specific way or a channel-specific way. And really the storytelling then is the thing that elevates and creates that deep next level of engagement. We've seen you know, high-profile digital magazines like The Pool go under in the UK. What is it that you think that makes kind of Refinery29 a success? What, what makes the fact that you can stay afloat and they sadly couldn't? You know, I think... There isn't anyone who is in women's media that, that didn't feel like very sad to see what happened at the pool and lots of great people there and, you know, lots of great content that came from that team. And it's obviously like not not the kind of thing you want to read, whether, you know, in media, but also women's media, you know, it's not, it's a sad story. But I would say Refinery, our point of difference, I think we're just at a completely different scale in terms of our reach, in terms of the size of our audience because we're part of a sort of global network, we we're able to benefit from creating content globally. We share content between our editions in Germany, in the UK, and in the US, and and soon um, we're going to be launching in France as well. So we're really able to kind of 
maximize the impact of our global network and global storytelling. Um, we're able to be really strategic about big moments and then have the kind of always on diet of media cycle and news breaking and stuff actually really kind of well organized between our international offices. Um, I think it gives us a lot of strength. I think what also gives us a lot of strength commercially is that, you know, we have a, a very, very significant business in North America. Um, we've been going, as I've said already, for, for, for many years. And so we have a long, credible history with the world's biggest advertisers. They were, you know, chomping at the bit for us to launch internationally. It's one of the reasons that Philip and Justin really embarked on this process and, and that I came in was because we just had so much demand. So I think we've had great support from our partners. Um, we've had great support from our audience and we have a kind of operation that really is is at scale. And I think that that all gives us a great advantage. And how do you monetize your relationship with your readers? Is it is it purely the the great relationship you have with advertisers, or are you doing? We've seen lots of other digital brands diversify into you know having events and uh, apps and you know cosmopolitan even do houses. Yes. So the story of our revenue really is definitely one of diversification. But before we talk about diversification, probably it's good to spend a bit of time on the business that we're. Um, that is the, the, still the majority of what we do, which the is the advertising brand. business and, and the branded content and successful partnerships with brands. It, it has, you know, it's absolutely the, the primary revenue driver of Refinery. Why do I think we are able to, to, to do really well in that space? I mean, the international business, you know, we grew 100% last year in terms of revenue. We're going to do uh, the same again this year or more. I think really brand trust is a big thing. You know, people are really looking for those trusted partners, quality content, brand safe environments. But also, I think as a product, editorially, we've always talked a lot. Of, we, You know, our origins are in shopping. We've always had that mixture of culture, commerce, of style and substance. People come to Refinery to discover. They read about new products, new businesses, um, stories of female success. And so branded content that is authentically and natively created for them with the refinery tone of voice which is absolutely what we do is really really seamless for our audience um we don't it's not as if they shy away from it in fact they really lean into it so we have been successful i think because we created that really powerful brand safe place to be and we super serve our audience with content they're actually going to love and that they just happen to to be supercharged by, by these brand partners outside of our advertising business we have done a lot of diversification in all sorts of different ways. Video has been a big thing. Of course, you know, the move into, into video has been well trodden by media companies. But I think what Refinery has done is taken it to a whole new level. Um, thinking about these big, bold, original programming strategies. We have this amazing series called Shatterbox, which is really a platform for female filmmakers, short films. So we've won awards at Cannes, at Sundance. We've had um, films going into film festivals all over the world. We now have two feature films in development based on those shorts. Um, and getting, I've um, got zero feature films in development. Yeah, I know. Me too. Very much <laughs> clever people than me actually do this. But I think that ambition, we're here to create culture-defining content. And so original, premium television, film, video programming is absolutely something that we've been like, supercharging um out of our business in north america and i hope hope we'll be able to do the same here too events too is is, is just become a, a huge part of our story both i think important because 
events really are content creation moments now, I think. I don't know if you, you see this or you think about this, but but we think at Refinery about events as URL to IRL. How do you bring that digital into the real world? IRL, just anyone in real life. Uh, how do you bring the, <laughs> the, the the online into the real world? And then how IRL do you take... is about the only acronym I actually understand. URL to IRL. Of, of it's so people. catchy. I think the thing is you, you sort of don't want to use it, but then once you've heard it, you can't ever unhear it. It's so clever. You so can't you, unhear it. Yeah, URL to IRL and back again. So... That's super important and really inspiring and exciting because we do these community events. We do at least one a month, if not more in the UK and, and tons in the US. Everything from comedy nights to we did an amazing week of, of, of content about female pleasure and sex. And we had this amazing event where people came and they learned about technology and sex and cool sex toys. It was incredible to see the audience there talking, sharing openly a completely different thing. We might have a panel discussion about skin and, and skin positivity through our, our recurring series, Skin Deep. This is a chance for us to to talk to our audience, to, to see them, for them to see us, for us to build those direct relationships. And on a completely different scale to that in North America, um, we launched 29 Rooms, which is like our kind of experiential Super Bowl, I guess you'd call it. Um, is this an IRL thing? This is like... A huge thing. It, it began actually as our tenth anniversary party. Wow! We took a warehouse in in Brooklyn and we carved it up into twenty nine rooms. And each room was a different experience created by an artist. Some of them with brand partners, some not. And we ended up saying to audience, "Come along." We had queues around the block. Uh, last year we did it in four cities in North America. Sold over a hundred thousand tickets. Uh, reached one in two users on Instagram and really has defined the kind of immersive experiential trend that you're seeing um, all over the world. And now we've just actually done a partnership with IMG, so we're going to be bringing it to to, to the international market soon, um, hopefully uh, yeah, hopefully very soon next year. So it's really, really exciting. Who do you regard as your competitors? I mean, who's competing for attention in the same space as you? Uh, you mentioned there, for example, Instagram and, and Facebook. We, we've had a lot of people in that chair that say that they, they have a relationship akin to a frenemy, that, you know, you're populating your Facebook page with content, but Facebook are getting the advert revenue. How does that work? You know, if someone likes something that you've done on Instagram, how, how do you monetize that? Well, there was about eight questions in one there. That's a, there? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a couple of questions. Let's start with the first one about competitive sex. I think it's a really interesting one and and you know it's something that you know we talk about a lot um and i think you know it's one of the things that, that that's really important and unique about refinery i think we sort of sit i like to think of us as, as a sort of category on our own we come from the the digital first digital publisher nimble startup culture world you know, we built our own tech stack. We, you know, we grew like a startup. It, 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 that's what it feels like. That's the buzz and the culture, what attracts the, the great talent. Um, and in that sense, you have a few competitors that are the sort of digital players. Maybe it's BuzzFeed or Vice or some of the other the, those names. At the same time, we've built a brand that has the sort of brand power, the 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 weight and 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 the credibility of you know, a, a traditional media company, whether it's a kind of broadcaster or whether it's a, a glossy magazine, a Vogue or a, a Glamour or maybe a Wired or, or whatever. And so we sit in the middle of those two things. And so I think probably we've got competitors everywhere. Yet I sort of also feel we have not got competitors because what Refinery 
has done and been doing, you know, over many, many years is really delivering this very focused, very mission-driven, totally unique message about women, a positive, optimistic perspective uh, where we champion their individuality with a catalyst for them to claim their power as opposed to sort of dishing out the media gift of empowerment where we've been consistent in working with the best talent in championing diversity in challenging ideas of representation and so on that level I feel that that we stand alone all's to say on competitive set that the other thing I would say is that I think the media world probably likes to think that it's all sort of you know handbags at dawn but you know we have all of us work in the media industry and it's an industry full of mates and friends. And so, you know, we have friends, um, pals that work in all companies. So I think we're all kind of very much more friends than frenemies at the end of the day. And on the social media side, the uh, the, the, the frenemy... The frenemy. The frenemy dilemma. Um, look, I think it's really clear that there's no media um, company that, that isn't using all the channels to build and connect with audiences Um that are out there. And of course, you know, Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, you know, they're all important parts of our audience's behaviours where they seek and consume content. But, but Facebook's I, getting the money for the adverts on that Facebook page. What I would say is that clearly it wouldn't, it's not a surprise to hear that we're less um, focused in some ways in terms of our audience profile there than, than we have been before. Our own and operating environment, I think, on a .com has always been super, super important to us. But in terms of revenue, you know, we just outlined a diversification story, thinking about video, thinking about our events business. We haven't really touched on our creative consultancy practice the 29th. But what I'm trying to build here is a picture of a diversified media and entertainment company, not one that is super focused on one platform. And you have that agility because, frankly, you, you you haven't got a printing press. You know, you've emerged as a truly digital proposition. Yeah, I think that digital first startup mindset, the idea to be true creative entrepreneurs, absolutely in service of our audience, that is really just a huge, huge part of our culture and part of our success. What's your job then? What do you actually do? What do I do all day? I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is a good question. So I... My role as um, president of our international business. So that means that I oversee um, all aspects of the business outside the US. So so international from a US international, point of view. International, so ex-North America, yeah. basically. Because so, I'd say they're international, of course, sitting in London. They, but yes, I know what you mean. Indeed. Yeah. So <laughs> we have clients the, as well. If where... the HQ is in New York, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sort of not in HQ. So yeah. really my, my role is that I oversee kind of all of the different departments at Refinery29. So amazing revenue commercial teams are incredible editorial um, and content, marketing and PR and operations. And I and I do that with an amazing team who uh, we've been lucky enough to, to build over the last three and a half years. If really the question of what I do all day is I think about three things for Refinery, reach, revenue and relevance. How do I bring those three R's together to expand um, and grow our business. The three R's used to be reading, writing and arithmetic. Yeah, or the three F's. <laughs> yeah. What are the three F's? Fun, fame and fortune. You've got to be a, having... Those are the three things I've only ever wanted. You've got to be having two out of three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think otherwise it's not good. No, but three R's, reach, revenue, relevance. That's what I think about all day long. Because... Well, can we actually go through all three of them? Because sure. that's interesting. So, I mean, let's start with reach then. How, how do you do that? 
So reach. How do you do that? Do you that do was the, the most basic of questions, well, wasn't it? When we're thinking about reach, what we're really thinking about is how do we take the mission and the content of Refinery, build those that audience connection and expand it. So, so getting more eyeballs. More eyeballs, more people coming to events, more relationships, more engagement, more loyalty. How do you do that then? So because I'm listening. Of, I want to grow this podcast. One of the ways that we do that... We've only got about five listeners. Is Five listeners, <laughs> very influential listeners. Listeners, yeah, yeah. listeners do not be offended. Um, one of the ways we're doing that at Refinery is, is international uh, editions. So we've launched in Germany uh, with a German language edition. We're soon to be launching in in France with a French language edition. Um, and then, of course, we have our, our UK edition and we hope to have more coming soon. And will that be truly localised content, that there'll actually be French people writing French content in French in France? We will have French people speakers trans-creating. So what they do is they curate from our global content pool, if you like, our library. We have an amazing team in the UK and the US that are creating a huge amount of content. And our German um, and French teams, they work together to use data and social listening to identify the stories that the audiences in those countries are most interested in and we transcreate them. When we talk about transcreate transcreation. That's a new word for me. So translation So you're giving them what they want, of course, by using the metrics that that's actually helping curate an experience that's relevant to them. Because you know that's what they want. One hundred percent. And then the reason transcreation rather than translation is because we're tweaking, we're localizing. Um we I used to talk about uh, the difference between, you know, roommates and flatmates and that's in the English language. So we always make sure that the tone is completely right this isn't just a case of automated translation this is really amazing writers and journalists who are really putting it in the tone that is relevant for that audience as well as creation yeah it's super cool and and they are so talented i mean rare our head of transcreation is just unbelievably passionate and a talented writer and journalist who just happens to be the most brilliant linguist as well and so we're really that's a really important part of super serving those audiences you know if you're in um, Germany you want to be able to read Refinery29 in your native language because it deepens your understanding and the richness and and your experience and that experience is then rewarded with your loyalty and that really is what that kind of reach expansion is about I guess it's also about thinking about new channels new partnerships in the UK we've been doing some amazing work with uh, Flipboard recently which you might not expect but we've just you know had a really really great partnership with them so we're we're using that that to reach new people so we're always thinking about partnerships and how do we get our mission and our content further um so if that's reach revenue revenue really simple the big one without revenue there's no business right and and how do we grow how do we grow our business right and i how do you i'm all ears so i think we grow our business we've been really really successful at growing the international business as they say triple-digit growth um, last year. And what's the secret then? This I mean, what, if we could get down to brass tacks, what, what, is it, what is it you're doing and what is it you're not doing? So I think probably you guys would, from the outside, you might assume that our business is very much focused exclusively on brands that you might think, oh, it must, must be just fashion and beauty brands that want to advertise with Refinery. And the reality is what we are here to do is to show advertisers around the world that building powerful relationships with women moves their business forward so our advertising partners are massively diverse we've done amazing work in the tech space in the finance space 
Um, really excited about some developments in auto. Um, you know, you might not think we have a 12-month partnership with Rightmove. It's been incredible for them to understand why how talking to women specifically can drive massive results for them, as well as creating content that, frankly, our audience just love and flock to organically. At the same time, we're doing really building legacy building branded content so that we're having long and returning relationships with our partners adidas we've done everything from running clubs to creating content brawn we just did a fantastic campaign um, about hair removal and we featured paris lees who's one of the uk's most sort of influential um, trans activists and, and and voices and you know the honesty with which she spoke the response that the community gave that content it's just incredibly powerful so how are we growing our revenue business one we're growing it because we're really trying to say to the advertising community it makes great business sense to talk to women with purposeful communications and in fact i would go as far as to argue that for brands today it's going to be a determination of relevance for you in the future of your brand Women drive 85% of purchasing decisions, yet 54% of our audience say that they feel that advertising gets it wrong when talking to them. So how can we be that gap? How, how can we create the environment, the quality content with deep cultural resonance to kind of be that partner to advertisers? So you're, you're, when you say partner, then you're educating your, your advertisers as well in terms of how to, you're not just taking a check from them, but you're also telling them how to spend it more wisely with you. 100%. The way that I think we have always you know, done done business at a refinery, we see these as true partnerships because for it to be fantastic branded content, we recognise that, that the brands are going to have to go a bit outside their comfort zone and they're going to be coming into to the refinery world. But it's also a, a true partnership. It, it really is being that guiding partner, uh, being that sounding board and ultimately helping them move their businesses forward um, because that's really what we want to do. We want to help them build their businesses and, and their brands um, and we want to do that through helping them win with women, um, this influential and, and really, really um, important audience who, by the way, have a very, and am I allowed to swear on the podcast? You are. Yeah, very high bullshit radar. So actually you can't go into this and, and get it wrong. It's really, really important that that they come to us to get that that right. And I think we also do really clever things with data and insights and trend reporting that give that an extra layer where it's not just about great content. It's about what's behind that in terms of understanding of that consumer, their behaviour. And the third R was relevance. 100% because I think building the reach and the revenue of the business, it all sits on the mission of Refinery29. And, and being the relevant. ability of us to drive that relevance as the place that is accelerating and elevating women's stories that's really truly progressing and representing women i mean in the uk you know we've done some incredible work we did this big campaign called stop skirting the issue about upskirting working with gina martin you know supporting her um from the very start of her campaign all the way through to seeing the law get changed in the house of lords congratulations amazing i take no credit for my it's gillian or and the team that did it they're incredible and that really is creating like real world change, right? We did another brilliant piece of programming earlier this year um, called Lonely Girls Club. It was basically talking about millennial female loneliness and how, you know, the internet, it could be this double-edged sword. On the one hand, social media provides these actual havens of building community. On the other hand, it's what may make some people feel um, further away from reality and their friendships. You know, an incredible kind of week-long programming moment for us interestingly started from one story that, that we wrote and the response was so huge we went further created a week 
off the back of that, the response has been huge. And now we know that people are having lonely girl meetups around the country and actually starting to build those connections with each other. So actually, it really is about that legacy of creating content that really inspires people, that that is brutally honest, that sometimes is painful, that makes you think and question and challenges your perception, but ultimately this voice of optimism about this moment in culture for women that is so powerful and and really uh, inspires. And how do you hear from your readers then? How do you connect with them? I mean, you've got the metrics, you know what people are clicking on and what drove them there, but do you have any kind of uh, qualitative relationship with them as well as quantitative? Yeah, we, we do. Um, and I think it's one of the things that I think, you know, secrets to success for Refinery is, you know, we understand our audience incredibly well. So obviously we have, you know, comments and 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 that community moment in the when you publish content but we also have um, our own quant panel so we have about 15,000 women around the world that we talk to every single day and we um we talk to them about everything from from creative ideas and and what they want to hear from us to what they think about areas of of opportunity whether it's um, brand work or what they think about their relationships we we've done really interesting things um with um, some of our partners around product testing. So it really becomes this a very, very rich first party um, data source. And what's really cool, I should say, is that all of the people that are on this this platform, we call it Mad Chatter, don't ask me why it's called that because that I don't have a clever story for, is that they all opt in themselves. It's completely super fans of Refinery. It's the people that love the brand, that love the mission, and they want to feel like they're part of shaping it. It's not a, you know, sign up and we'll send you um, gifts or discounts or it's it's truly an organic conversation that we're having direct to the audience in their thousands and that insight uh, flows both ways doesn't it because you're now sharing that with clients you've created a marketing and creative consultancy called the 29th yep. which uh, specifically helps brands by they're creating videos and events and uh, so-called influencer activity how does that work so the 29th really has been born from this idea that there we had relationships that wanted to go beyond branded kind of co-branded content on refinery 29 that wanted to really understand how we could be their partners in creating different kinds of content and experiences and also strategic platforms really for them so we've done a range of different projects i think one of the first things that that we did which which was really um exciting was that we worked uh, with uh, Eleni Santos um, at Unilever uh, and UN Women to create the visual identity for the Unstereotype Alliance, which is a, an amazing cross-brand group alliance that's all about ridding uh, advertising from stereotypes. So they came to us and we worked with an amazing artist, Jessica Walsh, to kind of create their visual identity and, and, and their launch moment in Cannes a couple of years ago, including flying the uh, Unstereotype Alliance flag above the Palais uh, as they judge the glass line, which was super, super cool. On recently, uh, we've been working with Walgreens Boots Alliance. Um, we are um, working with them as, as, as their agency um, across some of, of, of their brands, um, including their cosmetics and, and, and skincare brands, Sleek being one of them. And we're, we're super, super proud of that work. And in that, we're doing really helping them content creation, but also kind of helping them um, giving that publisher mindset and, and, and that that really thinking and behaving like a publisher and have been able to do some really, really exciting work, creative work with them that, you know, as one of, you know, as part of All Green Sweets Alliance is seen in store and, and, and as well as digitally. And, and it's been an incredible partnership uh, that we're really, really proud of. 
We've also done some really interesting work with Samsung this year, and they came to us um, for the 10th anniversary of the Galaxy uh, to, to, to the S10 to think about how could we really be their partners in their own experiential strategy. So we've created a whole um, experiential toolkit for them. And, and, and that event, uh, which was in Westfield recently, is going to go to 10 markets around the world. So that builds from our sort of 29 rooms experience. So really what we're here to do is to give our brand partners, you know, the tools that we use for ourselves as well as our specific audience focus and really giving them those big strategic platforms that they can own and have that conversation. And, and, and we're you know, proud to be their partners in doing that and in doing so creating better, more diverse, more representative content for women. How important is the backing of the WPP giant uh, to yeah, helping Refinery29 move into areas like, say, video on demand? So WPP, Turner... Discovery, uh, we've got, an, and Stripes Group and many, many others, we've got an amazing board of, of, of brilliant partners. I think, you know, personally, I feel extremely lucky to, you know, have great relationships with, you know, with our board members and benefit from their insight. Um, I think the reality is that WPP have invested in many businesses and, and, and you know, there's no commercial impact. You know, we, we go out there and we compete. Uh, alongside any other media publisher so you know I don't think it uh, sadly uh, I don't think it, it, it can make a, a significant difference in that respect what I think it does is I think it builds great connections personally speaking always had an amazing relationship with them and and so many inspiring people and also you know incredible inspiring women that work in that organization Lindsay Patterson Karen Blackett Sue Unaman to name a few and you know always been very very um, grateful for their support now, you spent eight years at the Shine Group working across commercial and strategy roles. Mm-hmm. What was Elizabeth Murdoch like to work with? Liz is uh, inspirational. She's an incredible leader, taught me a huge amount about championing creativity. I am not lucky enough to be creative uh, creator on my own. I wish I wish that I was talented enough to, to, to write an amazing film script or, or produce an amazing drama or, or make MasterChef and, and be an editor on MasterChef, but, but that was not um, my particular fate. But Liz was the champion of great ideas. She was a, you know, she's an absolute believer in big ideas, the ability for, for, for them to travel. She, she talked passionately about this idea of creativity without borders of, and building Shine as this global network of production companies that we could share IP and ideas um, irrespective of geography, of language, um, not concerned about our own micro P&Ls, but thinking about how we could collaborate and, and build massive franchises. And that remains a kind of guiding inspiration for me as we think about, as I think about building brands and, and, and the power of big ideas. So no, she's, you know, huge, huge, huge. Um, and I should say, as is Alex Mayon, who I was also very, very lucky um I worked for Alex for years and years and years and years and has been and remains a kind of great teacher and friend and taught me a a huge amount about business and and, and management, um, about... We've been um, trying to get her on the podcast for ever since she took the job at Channel Four. So really? if you could put a word in, we'd I'm be seeing grateful. her. I'm seeing her tomorrow, so I will. I will let her know. Um, Excellent. But she has been. Uh, you know, I I was I could not have been more lucky to have worked um, for them um, and to be part of the journey of that company, which was so special. Um, and to, you know, I remain so proud of of being a f- tiny, tiny, tiny cog in a wheel of a moment of something like MasterChef because it's, you know, one in a generation. 
having a big hit like that. But it sounds like, yeah, throughout your career, you've had an incredible array of female mentors, role models that have inspired you during the career and, and, and it enabled you. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's true. Um, though I would say uh, the whole time I've been at Refinery, I've reported to two men, Philip and Justin, our co-founders and co-CEOs. Are so, they not as good as women then, having been, having been you know managed what? by women? I don't actually think, I think that's just a really interesting point. And this is why we talk <laughs> about like men all the time and, and this idea of female leadership and, and men. It's not a female issue getting female talent to lead businesses. It's actually about allyship and sponsorship and belief, right? Um, I've had amazing female leaders and seen great do amazing things um, at Shine. I share that at Refinery29 where I work in a predominantly female environment and I am inspired by our staff, um, our co-founders, Piera and Christine, our CFO, our chief content officer and, and president of North America, Amy, um, Mel, our CFO. So we ha- I have amazing female role models, right? And I, certainly when I went off and had my, my, my baby, you know, I was so lucky that I could call and say, oh, God, what's it going to be like? And am I going to be okay? And to have that honesty. But I would also say that, you know, I've worked with Philip and Justin, done, been very proud of what I've achieved. And, and they are, you know, my biggest champions. And, and, and so I don't think it has anything to do with gender. I think it's just good luck and great people and working with people you really like and really respect. I think that's probably, you know, for me anyway, that that's really been the key. Well, I mean, good looks certainly played a part in it, but you're clearly very bright, very able and very hardworking. What would you say has been the kind of major career turning points then? How, how did you start off on this journey? What did you want to do when you when you started, yeah, finished your studies? So when I finished my studies, I was going to go and do a PhD. Wow, that's I, real brain work. Yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I, I read history and I was going to go and do, I was going to go and be an academic. And then I realised that the thing that I was interested in, like, I might be the only person in the world that like was interested in and there was a potential that I'd have to go and learn medieval German, which I didn't even speak normal German. So so that was a bit of a stretch. And then I didn't really know what else to do, but I really knew that I loved telly and, and I really liked popular culture. I'm a, I'm a real kind of high, low kind of So from medieval German to, to, like, to yeah, Jeremy Love Kyle. Island. Yeah, 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 Love yeah. Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, That's quite I, a mix. I just applied for about a million jobs and I thought that I would wanted to go to the BBC and, and present history documentaries. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I applied for so many jobs at the BBC, I did not get any of them and I was devastated. And anyway, I found myself at TVF where I realised that I thought I was doing one thing, but actually it turns out I was doing sales and I was a sales executive and sold the international rights to documentaries to um, cable channels in Eastern Europe and that was my beat and that's what I did for, for, for a year and oh, a bit. Oh, did you just call, call cable channels and I mean, say it you wasn't want to buy a quite documentary? Calling, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like a huge amount more sophisticated than that. I would say I had some amazing teachers there as well so I learned a lot about selling and about rights and about this idea of ideas travelling to different countries and changing as they do and, and so that was the education but I think ultimately when I read about this idea of what Liz was building from a cultural perspective, that was really what made me desperate to go and, and pretty much stalked Alex Mayon until she gave me a job. I think the big change for me was that move from traditional TV to digital. It was quite a brave thing to do because, to be honest, I had no background at all in publishing um, and a, a pretty limited background in, in in digital. I mean, I had experience of YouTube, but I, but I hadn't ever been on the on the publishing side. So in some ways, it was quite a, a kind of risky 
a risky thing to do um, and certainly probably more risky for my bosses uh, than for me, to be fair. But what connected me to it was that the mission of Refinery was so unique and so powerful and so meaningful to me. And I'd always felt that at Shine I'd been successful because I was just a fan. I was a super fan of television. Mm. I was a super fan of what we made. I never missed an episode of MasterChef, literally ever. Even though you made it? Even though I made it. I was obsessed with it. And I used to kind of literally send fangirl emails to the producers being like, I just loved it last night when you did that cut and it was like this. And I loved it. And I felt exactly the same way about Refinery. I'd been following them for a really, really long time. I had been reading Refinery since 2009. So really early on in their journey, because I lived uh, for a period in Los Angeles and my friends there were reading it. So that's how I found out about it so then years and years later to get a phone call saying I don't suppose you've heard of Refinery29 it was have I heard of them I get the email I love this brand I love it I love it I love it tell me it's coming to London how can I be involved so I think that's probably the leap of faith is love the thing that you're working on and love 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 what you do which I do so and you you spent quite a bit of time in America didn't you because you Mm -hmm. didn't didn't you study there Um, I did I've done bits of study there and I lived in LA on and off for kind of 12, 18 months. And I loved LA, actually. It was my... I, I kind of liked LA. I love LA. I go there every other week, which would, is quite a trek. Actually? Yeah. Like, literally every other week. I did every six weeks uh, for What, six weeks on, time. six weeks off? Six weeks... Yeah, I, I do six weeks in LA, a week in London, and then back and forth. Uh, and it was quite a lot. But, I, you know, the thing is, New York, obviously love New York. Refinery headquarters in New York, love New York. But... New York is a bit like London, but like without your mates. Mm. But LA is like a different world. Oh, I know. And you drove down Sunset every day to get to work, and you're like, "This is it. I've, you know, I've sort of made it." And then you realise you haven't, and you're stuck in a traffic jam. But for that moment, it's quite nice to have your pretty woman moment. LA traffic is something to <laughs> <Yeah>. behold. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is. I don't think. It, I mean, I don't think it's got any. Uh, don't think it's getting any better. Sadly. No, I don't even hire cars now. I just, I, you know, because you just end up paying so much in valet charges. I just Uber everywhere. See, I, I was there like before Uber existed. That's how long ago I was there. So I'm not. I, 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 I understand that that has transformed LA. Yeah, as you can get an Uber within two minutes. Whereas in New York, if even if the Uber's a block away, you think, oh, that'll be fifteen minutes by the time I might as well walk, walk to it or take the subway. Yeah, exactly. You got to walk it. So what's next for you? I mean, you've launched Refinery Twenty Nine in Germany. What, are there any future expansion plans in the works? Yeah, I think we're going to be, you know, continuing that addition strategy. Um, we're going to be launching France soon, and and hopefully more from that. I think we want to continue that story of. Um, growing that diversification of video business and, and, and the, that premium original content, you know, more clients for the 29th and, and lots of exciting conversations there. And then 29 Rooms, super excited. We're going to be working with IMG to bring that to Europe and beyond uh, next year. So so I think there's a lot going on. I think, you know, ask me what will get me super excited. It will be a story or a, an article or, you know, the team. I, I get, you know, they're what gets me sort of that's what really gets me excited this incredible group of people we've we've assembled we you know when I first started at refinery it was literally me in my house we had no staff no office nothing and you know now I look around nearly 70 people in London we've got 15 or so in Berlin and you know it is it's mad we moved offices at the beginning of this year and I'm not afraid to say that I sort of walked in and had a bit of a blub because I just couldn't kind of believe it so yeah 
that's what that's what excites me really. So what's a typical week then in terms of your role? Because, I mean, you mentioned the three R's, but if, if it was more of a traditional newspaper, you'd have an editor-in-chief on the content side and then you'd have a, a managing director or a managing editor on the business side. Do you kind of do both? Yeah, so I definitely wear both hats, but really the truth is is that I look after, I manage, um, hopefully support and, and, and add to the people that, that fulfil those roles. So in the UK, we've got... Gillian Orr, who's our head of content, incredible, oversees all of our editorial and and really sets the tone in sort of editorial sense. We've got Jackie Kavanagh, who is unbelievable commercial leader who really oversees our revenue group. George Mitchell, brilliant and looks after all of our operations and, and legal. So and Tamar Riley, who looks after audience and, and that global publishing strategy I talked about. So my job really is to work with them to be their sounding board, to be their partner, um, to set the strategy and help them execute it. How I spend my day is with clients, meeting people, talking about refinery, meeting talent, um, because we're always hiring great talent into the business. Um, And with those leaders really being being their, uh, you know, being their sounding board and, and helping them move things forward. I think alongside that, you know, it's great to have opportunities to spend time with the rest of the team and so I try and impose myself as much as possible on team meetings sneaking into an editorial meeting or the sales meeting and trying to you know make sure that as we grow you know we're also staying you know I'm staying close to to all the business and, and the talent that we have in it and then of course outside of that I've got a toddler and do all life the, do all the juggle that everyone <laughs> else does right so that's always fun as well here's an existential question well, go on if all brands put empowered women at the centre of their content and advertising, would Refinery29 need to exist? Because it's the whole problem stroke opportunity it's because they don't. Right? Like, would, if brands did that, would they seek to exist? Well, no, because we do what we do for our audience, right? Because we're you're in, unique, because the need is there. Yeah, because the, the audience are the boss of us. I'm in service to the audience um, and partner to brands, but I but our mission and what we're here to do in terms of culture and society isn't that's not what its um, purpose is. What's interesting, I guess, is I sometimes think about, you know, refinery is a bit like the the stone that drops in the puddle. What we do is we talk to young women, but we create the ripples that can impact everyone, um, that can change everything, um, whether it's marketing, communications, and how people think about talking to women, or whether it's like you know, experiential and what we've done with 29 Rooms that's inspired, you know, so many things from that or whether it's content that we create and stories that we tell or talent that we champion or writers that get their first job with us and go on to write amazing books, you know, uh, that's the kind of wider contribution, right? So would we fail to exist? I hope not. Um, I think, I don't think we would fail to exist, no. I hope not. Well, on that existential note, yeah. thank you ever so much for your time. It's been a hugely enjoyable conversation. Thank you very much for having me. An absolute pleasure. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.